there are some dark moments in sales where like it just, I, you know, you, you like we worked on this thing for forever. The team gets in there. We're meeting with a customer. We're going to change our relationship. We're going to, you know, we're going to take Sunny Delight in a totally different direction. And it does not go at all like you planned. And the guy, they he didn't like you from the beginning. And it's just like, this thing goes from bad to worse. And you walk out in that parking lot and you're just like, you just feel lost. I remember a couple of times just walking out and just like this, that was, that was bad. And am I going to get fired? And I do think humor is a way to deal with failure. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. I'm Roman Segel, recovering marketer. And I'm Andrew Tarvin, humor engineer. Roman and I both got our start at PNG, the Procter and Gamble company, where we had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PNG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PNG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about. It's kind of like being a fly on the wall for my mentoring coffees. On today's show, we're talking to PNG alumni leader Greg Warren, stand up comedian. Greg's new comedy special, The Salesman, is available for streaming on YouTube right now. So we thought we'd take some time to talk with Greg about his creative process for putting together the special and hope that we can all learn a little bit from the world of stand-up comedy and maybe how that creative process applies to our everyday life. So to kick things off, here's a quick clip from that special. So I didn't used to do this. Like this, this wasn't my job, you know? I was in the peanut butter game. You think that's funny, ma'am? I, I, I guess you've never heard a little thing called lunch. Like, I was part of that. Like, I, I sold Jif. I sold Jif peanut butter, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a reason why we're doing this special in Lexington, Kentucky. Jif is made here. Yeah. Jif is the best peanut butter, okay? It's the best peanut butter. It, 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 our motto was, choosy moms, choose Jif. Choosy moms, not all moms, okay? Let's say maybe your mom who drinks in the afternoon and goes to the casino and forgets to pick up your kids from school. If that's the case, by all means, buy Peter Pan, okay? That, that, that's a better product for you, all right? Like... Peter Pan, come on, their, their mascot is a boy who refused to grow up. Maybe he couldn't grow up because he was malnourished because he was eating that garbage peanut butter named after a cartoon character. Peter Pan can fly because he has hollow bones. There's no nutrients in Peter. Now, before we jump into our conversation, here's a quick bio on Greg. Greg Warren is a nationally touring headlining comedian and has been featured on Late Show with Seth Meyers, Last Comic Standing, Comedy Central Presents, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, BET, and CMT. He is a fan favorite of the nationally syndicated Bob and Tom radio show and can be heard daily on Sirius XM. Prior to becoming a full-time comedian, Greg spent 10 years at Procter & Gamble as an account executive for brands like Pringles and Folgers, and as a project manager at the GO in Cincinnati. He's currently based in St. Louis, Missouri. Greg, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Thanks a lot, man. 
Uh, yeah, I'm so excited to kind of chat with you about this special and maybe give people a little bit of a behind the scenes uh, look at what they're not used to. I mean, I think so many of us, uh, listeners included, are you know used to watching comedy specials, laughing, et cetera. But I think it'll be fun to be able to dive a little bit deeper into what goes into the the craft of creating some of this hilarity. And you were uh, on our podcast uh, a while ago when we hosted kind of a conversation with multiple PNGers who then later became stand-up comedians. So it was, you know, myself, you, Rajiv, and Josh Sneed, all fantastic, hilarious comedians. For the, the people that may uh, have missed that conversation or maybe forgot, just very quickly, what was it that you did at Procter & Gamble prior to leaving and becoming a comedian? Well, I was in uh, sales or, uh, you know, CBD, I think it was called towards the end. And uh, my first job out of college was uh, in Houston. And I was I was in the food beverage sector, uh, as we called it back then. And I called on, um, you know, a few grocery stores and they moved me up. And I, I, my big jump was I got to call on uh, grocer supply. It was a big independent warehouse supplied a ton a ton of grocery stores in Houston and I was it was a really cool thing I was part of a team that was led by a guy named Scott Bixby who was a guy that had a real impact on my career I, and then I moved up to Cincinnati after five years and called on uh, a couple of Kroger divisions one in Cincinnati one in Columbus uh, the last two years I was working in the geo as a project manager you know on, on a bunch of multi-functional teams I think uh, most of the stuff I was doing with Pringles yeah, towards the end, quite a bit with with snacks. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. And in the special, you do talk about various you know components of the the sales days that you had. And I love the kind of framing that uh, you shared with one person when they're like, "You people already know what peanut butter is. Like, what's your sales job? Do you you have it in stock already? Great, my job is done. It's so funny." Yeah, man, that was. I mean, I think every everybody that was in CBD for Procter and Gamble got that question from their parents or that criticism or like. Yeah, you sell Tide. They already have Tide. You're not you're not in sales. And I'm like, yeah, it's 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 not whether they carry it or not. It's how much they sell. And there's all these dials and things that we can do to influence. And you know, I've found as an adult, anytime that you have to spend more than two sentences explaining something to somebody, you're done. Like they're 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 you they'll they'll they just turn it off. Like it better be two very, very succinct sentences. And I'm a, a communicator as a profession, you would think yeah. that I would be able to do that. I still can't, I still can't mm. quite explain to somebody who's not terribly interested in sales as to what we did in, in, in selling at Procter and Gamble. But I can tell you, my father was not impressed by it. I've told the story on a few podcasts and radio shows and they're like, yeah, I agree with your dad, man. I don't think you were really in sales. You know, I, I, I don't get it. Yeah. People, people aren't paying attention, listening to end caps and coupon things that you decide to do and mail drops and things. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get into the details of it, it's less, oh, uh, I yeah, guess, man. glamorous, I I suppose. And so, like anything else, they top line it. They they have two things that they know. They'd be like, so you want to be like eye level, right? I'd be like, yeah, that's sure. That's what, so you just got to, just got to get to eye level. Um, that's not not even close to all of it. Yeah, you, you got to be eye level. I'm like, okay, that's right. Yeah, that's why. That's why we had all those virtualization simulations and things like that out at Bracket Ridge, etc. Was just to all clarify <laughs> eye level. But I, and I think in some ways it's it's like stand up comedy in the sense that you know people don't know everything that goes into sales. They don't know everything that goes into stand up. I mean, I think a lot of people have this perception that it is you know, you just get up on stage and start talking. The thing that you happen to be thinking about that today, yeah. and you just happen to do it. You must have been just 
blessed with this ability to do so and not kind of ignoring, and they kind of ignore, maybe don't see the, you know, years and years of work put into it. And so, you know, you left P&G in 2001, that's 22 plus years doing stand-up. You've been featured on Late Show with Seth Meyers, Last Comic Standing, et cetera, some of the ones that I mentioned before. You have multiple specials with uh, Where the Field Corn Grows on Amazon, A Fish Sandwich on Dry Bar, now The Salesman. So, from from an outside perspective, people that don't know kind of the industry, do you feel you've quote unquote like made it? Obviously, this has been your career for you know twenty plus years, and it seems like amazing. You have all these incredible credentials, but how do you feel about kind of where you're at as a comedian? Where does this stack up? Man, I think I thought I was doing really good till you asked me that question. You know, like oh my god, man, I, I think I've, I'm a failure. Like no, no, I, I think. I mean, let's be clear. When I when I left PNG, uh, I had been doing it at night uh, as a second job or a hobby. Kind of the way it works back then, you know, on the road, it's like you have a first guy who's the MC, and you have a second guy who's the middle act, and then you have the headliner. The first guy is always local, gets paid back then a couple hundred bucks for the week, maybe. The the middle guy is, you know, like he's from out of town. He does about thirty minutes. And he gets paid, I don't know, five, 600 bucks. And then the headliner, you could get paid a lot of money or, you know, up and down, depending on how popular. But that middle guy is, that is a sweet spot. Like that is, you don't have to close the show. Uh, you're not expected to sell tickets. Uh, you don't get paid a lot, but it's a lot of fun. So when I was working at PNG, I was like the first guy, always. I was the first guy at a club called Go Bananas in Cincinnati. I was the first guy at a club called Jokers in Dayton. I was the first guy at a club called The Funny Bone in Columbus. Like I always rotating those. And it's not an easy job. You know, they're eating. They think that you're not going to be good. They're still getting their drinks. It's hard. And I honestly think part of the reason I quit PNG is like, I think I want to see what it's like to be the second guy. <laughs> now, again, I left PNG. I was making six figures and I was had stock options and all that stuff. I was doing well and I quit to make five or $600 a week. That's before you travel, you know, like, I mean, when I left, I was like, okay, I'm probably, I got to get this out of my system. I got to see if I can do this. Let's be honest. I'm going to be selling something CPG related in the next year and a half. Like this, it's just, I was 33 years old at the time. And I caught a couple of breaks and uh, it just kept going. And, you know, I'm so in that regard, I have more than made it. I have, I've been doing this full time uh, for a long time and and that's cool. I've flirted with making it, making it a couple of times, <laughs> like a couple of times I was like, okay, man, I think I'm going to be famous after this thing. And then it just, you know, it didn't work out, but I have gotten, you know, I've got done a lot of stuff that like little by little, I've got a little bit higher profile and I've got to do some really, really fun stuff. And this special was, I think it's the best thing I've done. Uh, the, the last one I liked, but it's the best thing I've done. Interestingly enough, like for 22 years, I've been trying to find a way to make my experiences at Procter & Gamble funny. And I've written a couple of jokes about sales and they were decent. They appeared on an album or something and they were okay. They weren't killer. Those were sort of like me self-deprecating. I'm pretty self-deprecating my act, sort of talking about how humiliating it is to be in sales sometimes. And they were funny, but nothing you could build a, a, an act around. And when the pandemic came, I think I talked to you guys during that. And I was like, you know, I just put a special out in the, in the middle of 2020. I was like, I got to start over. I got to start over. Mm -hmm. And I, 
I got to find some part of my life that I can write about. Um, and I'd written all about wrestling. I'd written about my experiences in the military academy. I'd, you know, I kind of had mined most of my life. And then I was like, let's, for the 60th time, let's take a shot at Procter & Gamble. And I can show you, like, I have Word docs full of just like, just called PG. And it's just like joke, idea, joke, idea, joke. You know, like I have notebooks full of that stuff where I never quite cracked it. Well, and I, and I love that, which I, I want to, I, I just want to pause uh, there sure, for, man, for sure. just one, because I think, I, I didn't mean it as a negative question. I think for sure, as a, as a comedian, you've made it because of those credentials, because you're doing this thing that you love. And, and like any profession, there are massive extremes. There are yeah. people who are, who spend 10 years at the open mic level that for whatever reason they can't crack aside from it, it being that side hobby they do, you know, once a month, et cetera, to, you know, obviously have the people like Ali Wong or Kevin Hart who are selling out absolute theaters and stuff like that. But a lot of that is in conjunction outside of even pure standup, right? Kevin and Ali, they both have gotten bigger through, you know, things like movies, et cetera. Yeah. And so to be consistently performing, putting out specials, uh, I think is an incredible kind of accomplishment in a really hard industry because it's not like, you know, PNG sales where you have one little, you you have one region and you're going to it more consistently. Not that it's easy, but there's some, you know, and, and nine to five, et cetera, where now it's like, okay, no, now I'm in a different city every single weekend, working these different clubs, building out uh, kind of awareness and all that. So I think props to many, many props to you for for where you're at. And I do want to, I want to talk a little bit about that creative process, but you mentioned a little bit this idea of like, hey, when I left, I was making six figures and yeah, stock options, et cetera. I'm wondering for the the person that's like listening to this or the people that are listening to this that have maybe been contemplating for a while, like, should I, should I leave a comfortable, secure position to explore a passion of mine? Yeah. Would you go back and do things differently now, having the, all of the ups and downs, trials and tribulations and things like that that you've had over the course of 22 years? Would you do anything differently about leaving that quote-unquote secure position for this, this passion? Yeah, I mean, who knows what we would have done. I would have probably left earlier just because it is sort of a, a young person's game in some ways. So I would have probably left a little earlier, but I didn't have the courage to do it. And But I also... You know, there were a lot of benefits of sticking around for a while because like I had some money. Mm -hmm. I had some money saved up. I didn't have to, uh, you know, I, I have friends that were taking, they had to take horrible gigs just to make it, you know, just to make a little bit of money to, to stay alive. And sometimes when you take the wrong gigs for a long extended period of time, it affects the way that your act goes. Like if you're working a certain, you know, circuit where it's, the, it affects your act. And, and even if you're, even if you're really good, sometimes you wind up writing to the level of, of the gig that you're doing. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of different places. And I didn't have to. I, I was very lucky for those first few years. I was like, I can do whatever I want. Um, if, I, if I show up to a gig and the hotel's terrible, which they are sometimes when you're starting out, I would be like, well, I'm not staying here. I got a, a bunch of money I saved up when I worked at PG. <laughs> you know, I moved to LA after like a year on the road. Uh, and I could do that cause I cashed in some, some stock and stuff like that. And I, you know, I had a lot of really made some connections out there, learned a lot, failed a little bit here and there, but, uh, yeah, I would probably, as I look back at it, like, I wish I would have had the courage a little bit earlier, Yeah, but I, you know, I, you know, I'm also, 
I mean, I'm not like super slick, but I do have some business sense after working with P&G for 10 years. And that helps. I mean, that does help with a business. Oh, for sure. It's, it's, a, it's a point of differentiation, I think, from, from many, you know, maybe more artistic endeavors, comedians in particular, is to, to know how to put your best foot forward, to know that this is a business and that you need to make money, et cetera. And, and I think similarly for me is I have a number of friends who went the immediately out of college into the like, let's move to a big city, take improv classes, et cetera. Yeah. And it's worked for many of them, but a lot of them were like, okay, now I got to get, now I get a job as a server. Now I get this thing that like is absolutely like, you know, so tough on my me mentally or physically, et cetera. And, yeah. and didn't necessarily have the wherewithal or ability to save up money. Whereas like you said, okay, you can save up some, you have some resources, you can take some some bigger, you know, wrist or steps, or like you said, move to, to LA. So uh, I think for people listening, there's, there's never necessarily, there's always probably going to be a better time. There's always probably also going to be like a worse time to potentially do things. But sure. part of it is kind of identifying that passion and the the risk management. So for it sounds like on your side, you you were in your head, you're like, okay, I've saved up some money. I can go maybe 18 months and if I need to go back and get a job. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I, I kind of gave it some time and I didn't have a lot of that. I didn't have a, a finite time in mind, but I was like, let's I think I'm probably gonna run out of money in a couple of years, or I'm gonna figure out that I'm not good enough to do this yeah. professionally in a couple of years. I wasn't sure. I was straddling for a while. You know, the company, I was kind of, I kind of, I was afraid to leave, man. I'd mm-hmm. done well there. And, you know, I, I was worried about my financial future for a while. And then I just abandoned all that. But I, uh, <laughs> I was trying to like say, Hey, can you guys transfer me to New York or LA mm-hmm. and do sales? You know, cause I was in the geo. I, I was working on projects. I had connections there. I was, you know, I I was a pretty seasoned salesperson and they were trying. Like they, mm-hmm. and they were kind of a little bit worried. Like, are you just going to get out there and quit? I was like, well, what if we made a deal? Like, hey, I, you know, I'll stay for at least two or three years. And, you know, and, and there was a couple of accounts that, I, you know, I almost went and took over an account in LA, almost went and took over an account in, I think, New Jersey. And it didn't work. And then I sort of, you know, looked in the mirror a little bit and talked to a couple of friends. And I was like, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just go for it. Let's do it. I do remember I, um, was working at Jokers in Dayton, which is no longer there, but I was working up there one weekend and they let me be the second guy. I didn't have to be the first guy. Mm-hmm. And I was still working at PG. And Kevin Pollack was the headliner. You know, the guy, he was very funny comic. He uh, is a movie star too. He was on A Few Good Men. Uh, he had a pretty good role on there, Lieutenant Weinberg on A Few Good Men. But Kevin was working the club and it was packed. It was sold out the whole weekend. And I did pretty well. And at the end of the week, Kevin was like, yeah, man, they told me, you know, that you don't do this full time. I was like, yeah. And he said, you know, you could, Yeah, that meant a lot. And I remember going back to the office on Monday and just sitting there. And I knew on some level, like I didn't have the courage to do it yet, but I knew on some level, like, okay. That was the, that was the, you know, kind of the, uh, validation in some ways that you needed that. Okay. Other people believe in me as well, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought, well, maybe that, you know, I, I, I'm going to give this a shot. I, I didn't have the courage or I didn't know exactly how to make it happen at that point. But I was like, on some level, I knew, I don't think I'm quite long for this job. Yeah. Which I think is good for for people to recognize. Like, first of all, that you tried a couple of different avenues to, to try to say, okay, how can I get to this city, et cetera. For me, I was very fortunate that 
I was working in Cincinnati and, you know, it's like, I'd love to move to a bigger city and I happened to be able to get a role in, in New York. Oh, wow. Circumstance. Yeah. Um, in terms of after a couple of being there a couple of years, but like you said, okay, some people, some people do that and then they're able to do it. So I stay with PNG a little bit longer. Other people don't, but it wasn't the end, right? It wasn't like, well, I tried to do that. So I guess it's not meant to be right. That you kept on pushing it and it took a little bit of time. So I think that reminder for people that your, your first attempt doing something isn't necessarily always going to be uh, the thing that works out magically for you. And, and one of the things you mentioned about this special, because I, I want to talk about kind of behind the scenes for people to check out, sure. certainly the, the salesman. I guess to let people know, a comedy special is a little bit uh, unique in the world of stand-up and that traditionally when you put out a special that's recorded, that's kind of you being done with that material. Yeah. yeah? Like, yeah. It's, it's kind of saying like, okay, people are, if they come see me live, they don't want to see the same jokes they saw me do in this special. Is that right? I think it's a blend. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think, now there are some sort of genius level guys who can crank out an hour every year. Uh, Nate Bargazzi, who directed this special, it's on his YouTube channel. Nate, he's a very, very successful comic. Nate was a, a, a part of this. Nate put one out not too long ago and he, and I saw him the other day and he's, Nate's he's got like another hour, which is remarkable. It's very, very rare. I don't, I mean, I have some new material. If you come see me, you know, this weekend, uh, you'll see basically, you know, some new material, you'll see a little bit from this special, uh, which I think is fine and is fun. Yeah. And, and some of it's a little bit more dynamic where like, you'll see me talk to the crowd a little bit about this material. A lot of it's the PNG stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's Jif peanut butter. Yeah. And you'll see some stuff that I, you know, did on in the past. So I, mm -hmm. I, I also, I tend to have an earworm or two every uh, special or every hour. And some people want to hear it. You know, yeah, you know like they'll be like, hey, man, why didn't you do Flute Man? Like, <laughs> I, so I usually do it. Or, uh, you know, why didn't you do that thing? So, yeah, I, I would like, I kind of think if you can write a new 20 minutes that sticks every year, you're in that top 20% of comics. Or like if it's, you know, you're writing way more than that and you're performing way more than that. But at the end of the year, you're like, here's 20 minutes. It's rock solid and it's going to go on the next project. That puts you way up there. Oh, yeah. that You're doing... Yeah. You're doing phenomenally. Like, uh, yeah. So I don't have a new hour, you know. I, uh, but it's it's an evolution that you're already starting sure. on. Sure. Oh, not, yeah, it's, it's not like here's my special. We've recorded it, and now this is a thing that I do for ten years, right? It's that no evolution where it's like, and like you said, there's going to be some greatest hit stuff because someone framed this for me. I think we also within the kind of the the aspect of speaking is that like if someone is, if they've paid for a babysitter, if they are, you know, this is their night out for that month or whatever, they're paying money for drinks, et cetera. Like they don't necessarily want the thing that you thought of in the car on the way over there yeah, that you're yeah. still kind of like completely workshopping. It's like, no, they want to have fun. They want to laugh. You know, I've watched the special multiple times and there are certain segments where it's like, oh no, I, I, uh, a lot of it is like, I just really enjoy this process. I love, and there's nuances that you pick up each time. And then also seeing something live, I think, at least for me personally, and maybe you can see if this is the same is true, is a joke will evolve over time. Yeah. Like you'll you'll add tags to it or other things to it because oh. you're like feeling it and like, Andrew, oh, you think about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you the best way for me to figure out the perfect ta tag for a joke is to put it on tape because about three <laughs> days later, I'll be like, oh, I know exactly how to improve that joke and it's too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, but I know what you're saying. Like, yeah, I mean, I've, that's happened so many times. I'm like, yeah, this is the way this joke goes. And then 
when you don't think about it anymore and you're not pushing, it's like three weeks later on stage, you're just mumbling something. You're like, oh yeah, no, that's the, that's, that's the better way. And it's, why didn't I think of that three weeks ago? Yeah. And so for, for people that don't know, uh, comedy lingo, kind of traditional joke structure set up in punchline. And then a tag is just an additional punchline that you would yeah, add to yeah, a yeah. single setup, right? Just so kind of people sure. have that, add that coming through. And so your previous special comes out and that one was, um, I'm forgetting the one that was right before. Oh, well, that. where the field corn grows. Yeah. Where, that was, yeah, where yeah, the yeah. field corn grows. So that comes out. And then for this particular special, you talked a little bit about it already of like, you want to mine something from PNG you've been trying yeah. to, but was that the intent of like, I want to write a special about the PNG days or I just need to start working on some type of new material and this is what kind of like you got passionate about? Like how did the overall shape of it start and come to be? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, like, you know, I think it's just like what's funny is left, you know, like what, let's let's just get some material out there. You know, like what what's funny? And I'm like, I know there's this giant part of my life was PNG that there's, there's gotta be something there. Maybe that turns out to be the central point of the special. What it did, like that was the material, that block of material seemed to be the most powerful and the most identifiable and the crowd just liked it. I'll tell you when I can test it, man, is when I go do, I do a good amount of corporate gigs and they're difficult. They're not always, you know, sometimes the setting's not right. It's nine in the morning, you're in a holiday and conference room and it's completely light and um you know it's difficult and i if i can do material in a corporate setting and it kills i'm like okay that's pretty good like and i was i was doing that peanut butter stuff i talk a lot about you know selling gif uh, i was doing that peanut butter stuff for a while during these corporate gigs and i'm like wait a minute this is better than any this is doing better than all of my greatest hits and it's new and i was like we got something here and then the guys that produced the special along with Nate heard it and they were like, wait, 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 we got this peanut butter is something. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just a sort of a paradigm shift. Like rather than play self-deprecate, I kind of adopted this character of I'm the most loyal, braggadocious GIF person. And like, I, I am, I stand for GIF. I, I worship at the altar of GIF. GIF is the most important, it's the best peanut butter. Anything else is garbage. I'm loyal to PNG, even though I haven't worked there in 21 years. And even though they don't own Jif anymore, or, you know, I'm loyal to Jif. And I just, and, and I think everybody knows that I'm kidding, mm -hmm. but it's not totally untrue. Like I, I am loyal to PNG. I am brand loyal. I still, we can go through my house right now and see all this PNG stuff. So you just dial it up a lot. And that's when they're like, yeah, this is hilarious. This guy takes peanut butter way too seriously. We kind of know he's kidding. But we also think maybe he's a little serious. And that character is, I just started having fun with it. I think there's, there's some that resonate, certainly resonated with me. And maybe it also is working at PNG as I have that same thing of like, I haven't worked there for 10 plus years now, but it's like, yeah, we buy Bounty. We like, uh, my wife like wanted to buy Colgate of something like just even tooth floss. And I was like, nope, can't do no, it. Like, no, 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 uh, no, no. no wait, this is Crest home. <laughs> um, we are bringing only Crest into this, et cetera. And so I think there's something that I identify with that even. And, and yeah, we have Jip peanut butter upstairs, but also the, you know, from a, a comedic perspective, if we start to think about the, the creative decisions that you're making for people that aren't necessarily aware of these things, it seems like the, the juxtaposition of the, topic of peanut butter and the amount of passion this character or you are yeah. kind of expressing on stage 
I think is what drives, you yeah. know, so much of that humor. Like you said, you're like, is he serious? Is he joking? I don't know either way. It's really, really funny. And so did you, did you stumble upon that level of heightening? Did it start out when you first started talking about GIF that it was kind of like, let's just talk a little bit about it? Or was it immediately like started with this? No, I'm going to be really gung-ho about it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, it was certainly in other specials where it's like, I'm saying something and I obviously don't think that. And you guys are getting that I don't think that. I'm full of myself and I'm not, you know. So I think that kind of started coming out. It was probably influenced by some, some comedians that I know and have worked with and watched that do, you know, some, something that's similar type of humor. But I know so much about the peanut butter business. And one time, even way before this, I remember being on stage and just, it was an open mic and I didn't have any material on peanut butter. I've just started spewing facts on peanut butter. I was like, you know how creamy outsells crunchy four to one guys, you know, and uh, you know, that's just a given. Everybody knows that. And like, and like my buddy, John Dolan came up after he was like, Hey man, that peanut butter stuff's great. I'm like, I didn't have any jokes in there. I was just saying facts up there. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe that's what you access. So I think I kind of tripped on it, but I think it, I've been prepared for this. You know, it's about who you hang out with, you know, your comedian friends, you sort of adopt some of those silly characters. I've done so much radio over the years that I'm, you know, you, you sort of play different roles on a radio show and it's all sort of silly and and fun mixed with, I do know a lot about peanut butter yeah. more than the average person. I, I know a ton about it. So I know the brands, I know the players, I know the sizes. I did these things that I was, I was proud of so, some of the stuff that we did, but you know, I, I, and I'm obviously kidding when I'm like, you know, I was a big deal. I was part of the team that launched the first low salt, low sugar peanut butter into the category. And I remember that was one of the first things I ever sold was Simply Jif. I That was like, the first day they were like, Hey, we're introducing Simply Jif. So was I part of the team? I was the lowest member on the team, but I, yeah. I make it sound like it was my call on, you know, like we did that. But yeah, as, as we, as we do for, you know, comedic effect. And I think that's what's interesting is, you know, for some people, like when they think about comedy, when they think about like the people who are funny, I think some people have this misconception that it's kind of got to be like, you just got to hope that really funny things happen to you. That like, oh, here's this really funny story that I can yeah. share. Here's this ridiculous thing. And it's like, no, you're talking about peanut butter. Like it is, yeah. you know, in, in our trainings, and our programs, we say it, it's not that funny things happen to funny people. It's that funny people see the things that happen to them in a funny way. Yeah. Right. And so you're like, you're taking this observation of simply about, you know, GIF and peanut butter and expanding it. And that pretty much anyone can find humor in their life. People are going to have humor in their life. It, now, are you going to do it at a, a level where you're going to do a comedy special taping of it and it's going to be amazing? Well, maybe not. But if you're looking for levity, if you're looking to add a little bit more humor, or explore the more humor in your life, it, it just really starts with your observations, your experiences, your opinions. And so when you're, when you're have this idea, you stumble upon a uh, GIF peanut butter, there's some passion there, there's some interest there. What is your process? Because I know some comedians are very meticulous about writing things down, right? Jerry Seinfeld, very kind of famously, like writing everything perfectly word for word. How do I like take a nine word sentence and make it only eight to kind of like do this? And then other comedians, especially as they get on a little bit later, they'll say they, you know, they have premises, they write some, you know, high level thoughts down and they just workshop it on stage to kind of explore. When you were thinking about this special, was it one, the other combination of the dude? How do, how do you go about that process of then 
okay, I have this premise of peanut butter and being really excited about it. How do that? How does that get to punchlines? That's a good question. I, I got a million different answers for you. So uh, when it starts getting boring, cut me off. But uh, I, I love talking about this stuff. So I mean, I, one, I think it's really hard to sit down and be like, what's funny? So I try to journal most mornings. Do I'm sure you know a lot of people have heard of free writing or morning pages and that sort of thing. I just take, you know, I got it from a book, The Artist's Way. Just take an ink pen on notebook paper and write cursive for, th- you know, three to five pages, sort of stream of consciousness. If I think of something, again, it's very hard to be like, well, that's funny. Those, those moments really don't happen that often. So, I, but it comes like, oh, that's a thing that is interesting. Or that's a thing that's different. Or that is a thing that doesn't normally happen. You know, or there's a person that I don't normally see. Like that's, that's, it's interesting. It interrupted the continuum of a normal day. I usually try to kind of hold that, put it up in the margins and write that down and be like, okay, this. So then I got to peanut butter and I, I knew I wanted to write about it. And I was doing a lot of walking during the pandemic. And I just started, I talk like a crazy person when I walk and I was thinking about, you know, like, I think the first thing I, you know, happened on was you know, choosy moms choose Jeff, you know, which to me, it's like, well, why am I talking about that? That's anybody could talk about that. I worked for Procter and Gamble. I, I know the inside. I shouldn't talk about the thing that everything I was like, no, let's just, let's just talk about that. And I sort of said something to the effect, like, yeah, choosy moms, not all moms, you know, let's say maybe you're a mom who drinks in the afternoon and goes to the casino and, you know, and then I saying that out loud, I was like, that sounds kind of funny. And then and then I just just started writing everything about peanut butter, like anything. Okay, it's creamy and crunchy. It's creamy and crunchy. What's the difference? And I came up with a silly idea about like, I can't believe we charge the same because, you know, the crunchy, we didn't finish making that. There was a lot, you know, the, the and so I just kind of looked at it from every different angle. So like the other exercise when I'm doing that is I'll, other than walking and talking is, I will take a topic and put it at the top of a note, piece of notebook paper and then an, another topic. And I get about, and put that at the top of the page. And I've got about 10 of those. And I just sort of try to fill up the page with different angles, different ideas, coming at it from a different place, coming at it from like, you know, if the topic is creamy versus crunchy, but like, what if those were two people? Or what if, you know, who came up with those terms? Or is it also people, some people call it smooth. Just like stuff that's not funny. But the rule is just fill up the paper with stuff that's related or try to make, try to make the premise 1% more specific or 1% more humorous, not try to get a joke. That's hard. And then you, you know, I don't spend too much time on that page. I flip to the next one, then flip to the next one. And then I go through a few times when I do those exercises and I really put myself into it. Usually I'll come out of that with Hey, here's two jokes that I can take to the open mic night. Or who's here's two jokes I can sort of wedge into my headline set tonight because I think they're good enough to try. Yeah. And then so that's that's one thing. The other thing is like a lot of times if you're especially on a Saturday night when the crowd is hot and it's full, you get an extra beat and a half of laughs. Like and that seems like who cares? It's an infinity. Like it's it's an eternity. So so you tell a joke you land it and you got your next joke coming. Right. And then you, they're laughing. So you, you, you got this pause. And sometimes in that pause, you just think on how can I continue that joke that I was you like, you, you, you get, I've done that a few times. It's like, I'm talking about peanut butter. They're laughing like, Oh, this is another thing. And I record all my jokes and 
And, and then you listen back. And so during, during the back half of this special, which is, you know, probably took me three years to come up with during that last year, man, it was a, the biggest writing tool I had was just listening to my act and listen to me. Like, how can we say that more clearly? How can we take away words? How can we add, how can we make this bigger? You're getting jokes on peanut butter. Let's let's get another five minutes on it. You know, um, I think comedy again, I'm getting a little tedious here, but I think comedy is sort of this never ending process of making a premise wider and narrow. It's like, okay, let's, this is kind of funny, but let's add all the stuff we can to see where we can go. Let's explore, let's explore, let's explore. Okay. Now let's cut off everything. That's not funny. And you're left with these three things. Okay. Now these things are rock solid. All right, let's try to expand a little bit more there. You know, now let's cut it off. And especially the young comics, sometimes the hardest thing is like, okay, you start with this central idea and you go out here 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 and you go out here. Okay. And it's like, you have 10 minutes that you've written. Okay. And the only funny thing is on the very exterior that has very little to do with your original idea. You have to be willing to just chop that off. And that's your joke right there. Mm -hmm. But I spent all this time and effort into this. I got to, no, you don't, man. It got you to this little, little piece. Just keep that. That's that's the gold right there. Yeah, which I think is, is very true. And I think what you're talking about is is very true and applicable in a lot of different types of creativity, like certainly within humor. But it is this, so so we can dispel this notion that at least for most working and professional comedians, it's not, I have this an idea, I'm going to say it out loud, and it's now already a perfectly crafted joke with all of these tags and amazing. Like, it's like, no. It's I've just, met a few of those guys. Yeah, they do. Some exist, but they is far and few in between in terms of like, and if you're someone who wants to start to incorporate a little bit more humor into what you do, it's probably unrealistic to expect that you're going to be one of those like magic few people that are able to do it right away off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but, and the, but the bar is also lower. You don't have to do, to effectively use humor at work. You don't have to be this level of funny, but the creative process, I think, is really interesting that you're talking about is kind of expanding and then narrowing down, expanding and narrowing down, finding what works and trying different strategies. Sometimes it's writing something out and saying, huh, that's interesting. Let me explore a little bit more. Sometimes it's a you know brainstorming exercise. Sometimes it's writing it or you know walking and talking. So I love that there's kind of this, this background in this process, just kind of massaging and building and iterating, like you said. And there, there is value to where you do some of this stuff, like sometimes being in the moment. And I think for any creative endeavor, you want to give yourself, you want to set yourself up for success. And like, this is what at least I learned early on in comedy is that when you're working on material, part of the reason why it's an evolution, it's not like, here's a special. And then immediately tomorrow, I've got 60 minutes of new raw stuff. It's like, no, you want to get people laughing with stuff that you know makes people laugh and then share perhaps a new idea or a new premise or a joke so that you're giving that new premise joke or idea a fair shot. Right. Because if the audience is cold or maybe it's just a bad room, et cetera, that like, it could have been the funniest thing in the world, but they were going to laugh anyway because the mic was off. Well, you don't know that because you tried yeah. something brand new and you might just think that the, the joke is terrible. So I think yeah. great recognition to also, when trying something new, creative or otherwise, to, to set yourself up, create the environment, to have an, an accurate gauge of how it's going to go. Yeah, yeah. And I also think like, you know, like that process that I described, it works every time over a 30 day period. Like if I do that for 30 <laughs> days, things come. If I do it for four, nothing, it could be very easily, nothing comes. Like not one good thing comes out of it in four days. 
and you know, you get, you start thinking, well, is this even worth it? It's like, but over 30 days, yeah, usually some, some good things happen. And then you also, you know, you just get those moments where you don't even think it's fair, where it's like, oh, I was walking down the street and I found the solution to this bit, or I just yeah. thought, you know, it just came so easy. And sometimes you're worried, like, did I hear that from another comic? And you check right. and see, and you know, hopefully your friends police you on that. Um, but sometimes they just do come. And I, I, I'm not the most spiritual person in the world, but I do believe if you do some of that sort of mind clearing and journaling and all that other kind of stuff early in the day, you're more likely to have those uh, divine moments, uh, you know, later in the day because you put the work in, you're ready to receive it. Yeah, is in the in the background working or processing it or, or going through it for, you know, for sure. And so I want to break down uh, the clip that we played at the beginning so that people can kind of see just kind of how much craft is going into some of this. And we've talked a little bit about it. I mean, in the special as, as a whole, it's not exclusively peanut butter, just for people no. listening. If they haven't seen it yet, you talk about, you know, the, the pandemic a little bit and, and wanting to better yourself, but maybe not quite going to the DMV. You also talk about uh, health insurance and the flimsy little card you get. Uh, you talk a little bit about gut health, you know, the mention yeah. of bear spray and wanting to spray people with said <laughs> bear spray. Uh, and then, of course, you do come back to peanut butter again. So uh, incredible special with a lot of different topics, but centered around kind of this focus as, as a salesperson, which I think is great. But the, the clip that we played at the beginning, you know, you start with, you know, so I didn't used to do this like this wasn't my job. You know, I, I was in the peanut butter game. And then someone laughs or the audience laughs and you say, you know, you think that's funny, ma'am? And you get another punchline out of that. So was that, was that ad-libbed in the moment for the special? Was that something that, you know, as a comedian, you know, people are going to kind of laugh at the way that you say peanut butter game. So it's a thing that you can say. Did it come up organically? Like, how did, how did that line work? That, I think it had happened in the crowd at a different show. Where I just sort of said, you know, I'm in the peanut butter game, you know, and somebody laughed and, you know, I just sort of was like, man, this is serious. Like what you've never had lunch like this, is, you know, and, it, and I'm like, okay, let's, you know, let's see, let's try and replicate that. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think I, that was the first time I did that that night. No. Right. Which I think is a great thing for people to recognize is that there can be in somewhat, you know, what we kind of frame as planned spontaneity. Yeah. Where you know certain things are going to happen or maybe might happen and that you can at least give some foresight into what, what you would say if they would happen. And so, I, you know, a lot of times as comedians early on, you know, you'll, you'll start to develop lines. You're thinking about, okay, what would I say if the microphone does cut out or if the room goes dark suddenly or whatever? And, and you're just giving yourself a little bit of prep. And that doesn't make it any less creative. It doesn't make it any less funny in the moment that it's happened before. Um, it's just kind of being attuned to like, oh, okay, I improvise this. I got to laugh. I can maybe bring that back. And you know, room after room after room, there's a good chance people are going to laugh just at the funny phrase of, in the peanut butter game. Yeah. I think, I think there was a moment in the, I said something to the effect of like, I, I, I was a big deal at Procter and Gamble and uh, some lady just sort of laughed. And I said, I was, ma'am. I, I was. And like, that was a moment that I think, I don't think it quite happened like that until that night. I, you know, the special to let you behind the curtain a little bit. It's, it's two shows that are sort of fused together. The bulk of it, I think is from one show. Shot in the same night, back to back. Yeah, shot two shows in the same night, and uh, you know you wear the same shirts. And uh, yeah, I think that first show went well, and the second show, 
I was like, all right, I'm going to loosen up a little bit here and take some, some risks that I don't normally take and say, you know, just sort of say some silly, dumb stuff just to see where it goes. Maybe it's my PNG uh, upbringing. I mean, I tend to be a little bit more buttoned up. I don't take a ton of risks uh, shooting a comedy special. But I was having some fun on the second show. And I think that was one of those moments when I said something like, I, I was a big deal. You know, this lady just laughed at the, exactly right in the front. I was like, I was, ma'am. I, I was, I was. Okay. You know, uh, which is, which is so in line with that character that you're yeah, talking yeah. about of like yeah, this, yeah. this love for it. And I think, and that's how pretty much all comedy specials are, is they're recorded over multiple shows, typically two shows or multiple shows. And for people watching the next time you watch a comedy special, you'll sometimes notice in edits where you're like, Wait, they were positioned slightly different when they that laugh at et cetera or whatever. But it's just that's, part of the a, that's a bad edit. If you can if you can find it, that's not a very good edit. Yes. So the next premise we've already talked a little bit about. Uh, one of maybe my favorite premises in the entire special is you know our motto: choosy moms, choose Jeff. Which I think a beautiful moment that the audience kind of fills in the blank. Like it's such a good slogan that people remember that the audience did. Yeah. As well. So. Uh, you talked a little bit about it already, but when did you have that realization about what a great premise of like, okay, if choosy moms choose this, what's the alternative? Was that on a walk? That was on a walk. I think, you know, it was, a, it was a, some, some moment between writing it and a walk. And honestly, and I'll, I'll tell you something that concerns me. is like, I know, I know I'm not the first person to, cause that was such a, popular slogan and somebody has done jokes about that. And I think I probably heard somebody say something about choosy moms. And I, so early on I was like, man, did I hear anything like this from another comic and, you know, back in, you know, 15 years ago, it's certainly one in the last 10 years. And I'm like, I'm worried. I just racking my brain. I'm like, no, I think I'm okay on this. And I hope I am, you know, but like I sort of was playing that character of, you know, I think the thing that really drove it home for me was I was like, I think it was, let's say you're a mom who drinks in the afternoon. And I wasn't, I was a little bit worried because my special's clean and I, it's mm -hmm. like, I don't talk a lot about drugs or I don't swear. I don't really talk a lot about alcohol. And it's, it's just, I, I just, mostly because I want uh, anybody to be able to watch it, like families to watch it. So I was a little bit like, man, should I talk about drinking? Is that too far? And for a while, I was just doing like, let's say you're, you know, your mom who goes to the casino and forgets to pick up her kids from school. And then I started saying, let's say your mom who drinks in the afternoon uh, and goes to the casino and forgets to pick up your kids from school. And it was like, it was just working too well. And nobody was saying, hey, that's too, you know, that's too far. And I, and you know, I tend, I'm a little OCD. So I'm like, ah, that's fine. You can say drinking. But for a while, I was like, I don't know if you can, let's try to find a way without talking about drinking. But I, I kept it in there. Yeah, and I, I think it works well because I was going to actually ask you about that. I think, you know, you set up this great premise of like choosy mom. So then, of course, you know, we, I don't think the audience, we don't necessarily know, but as soon as you start telling us the alternative to choosy mom, yeah. like, yes, we need to, we want to hear that. First of all, I think this is one of the things that like does separate really good professionals like you versus someone who's just first starting out is that that framing of, these kind of three additional ideas to say who drinks in the afternoon, that's already getting a laugh and goes to the casino. Another, it's continuing that laugh and, you know, forgets to pick up your kids from school, even bigger laugh. And that's just still part of the setup that, you know, that you, you have found ways to drive laughter, even in kind of like not a, a super clear, like, 
this is the funniest part of what I'm saying. It's like, nope, this is a process because then it all leads to a very, very big, very, very funny punchline of by all means by Peter Pan. By all means was such like, I think I, that was on a walk. I remember saying, you know, you're being, you're being reasonable, but you're, a, you, you know, you're an idiot full of himself. But it was, yeah. by all means, you know, buy Peter Pan. That That's a better product for you. Yeah. You know, like, hey, I'm genuinely on your side. So- I'm genuinely on your side. So- I'm, I'm concerned about you. And I, you, you shouldn't have Jif because you're, you're, you're substandard. You're a dirt bag. You're, you're not a real human being, but, you, but you're a person. You're a person. I mean, you, you, mm-hmm. you have a group. It's not, it's not Jif. Like, trust me, mm-hmm. you, you, you don't belong with us, but it's, it's a, there's a product called Peter Pan. There is a thing made, for you. Yeah. yeah. There's, that's made for lesser people like you. That's, that's made for people you know, they're your substandard. You're not part of our community that, the, you know, the larger educated, you know, people who care about their children, good people. I think I said something like Peter Pan that their mascot is a boy who f- refused to grow up. Maybe he couldn't grow up, you know, maybe, maybe he was malnourished. And I really wanted to get this term malnourished in there because he was eating that garbage peanut butter named after a cartoon character. This one, like you sort of build them because sometimes it's a mouthful. And you, you get, you get a laugh on that. And I, and then I wanted to get in there something about Peter Pan can fly because he has hollow bones. There, there, there's no nutrients in Peter. That one took a while. Cause I was like, you just got to learn to breathe. Right. And you learn to say yeah. when to say it. And I, but I would get to like, uh, Peter Pan, their, their mascot as a boy who refused to grow up. Maybe he couldn't grow up. He's malnourished. And then I would do it. You know, I couldn't get out the thing about you know, the hollow bones and nutrients. I couldn't get it out. You just, you just like, I, my brain is overloading and I'm not making the connection. Uh, so that took a while and you need to be able to sort of relax and then reset mm-hmm. for the next thing. So that, yeah, I was really surprised a little bit that the hollow bones thing worked. Yeah. Well, you and know? I think it's, it's partially the, you know, this is the value of having this you know, really strong persona is that the 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 patience and the pausing and all that is partially like this character is so enthusiastic about GIF that each new line that's giving this justification. And, and it reminds me of one of the, the things that I've learned that was really helpful for me from a creative process is if this is true, what else is true? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yes and sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the improv mentality or whatever. And that's yeah. a great example of that extrapolation of like, yeah, he had it because of, you know, this is their mascot. Why? He can fly. Most people would be like, oh, peanut butter must be so good it can make you fly. You're like, nope, going the opposite direction <laughs> of hollow bones, nutrients, funny word choices as well. You get malnourished in there. You get the word, you know, hollow bone. Malnourished, yeah. And I remember trying to say bird bones at one point and I, like, and I, it was just too much. It was like, hollow bone. Peter Pan's got bird bones. And it was like, eh, maybe on some nights, some nights, no. And I was like, at some, it may be the right or, or wrong decision, but at some point I was like, I'm not going to say bird bones anymore. I'm ending yeah. here. Well, and I, I think it makes sense because then it's like that initial, like there's another logic step that the audience has to take with bird. Like, what do you mean by bird bones? Oh, it means they're hollow. It means they're light. It means you can fly. Like, whereas like hollow bones is, and, but this is the craft of it, right? This is the like yeah. bird bones versus hollow bones. Same thing for like Peter, why Peter Pan is a brand because you extrapolate it because you think it's the worst peanut butter because it's the first one that you picked. Why that one versus, you know, another brand of peanut butter? I think, it, man, I can't remember that. I do remember it was on that specific walk. I remember the hill that I was walking up when I started, kind of got on all this. And I can't remember. Maybe it's because I thought I had another Skippy joke and I didn't, I didn't want to. 
use Skippy until then. Yeah, and then maybe it was because I started thinking about well, Peter Pan is an actual character, and now you can you can say him, yeah. you know, like it's him. It's not it's not the peanut butter. It's the him. That guy. It, there's a person that we can point to. I think I heard something where the brand never really got permission from Disney or whatever to use. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think I I can't remember reading about that. Which is really funny in and of itself, too. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound like Disney to just let this peanut butter brand go. But. No, it certainly doesn't. They're very litigious. But yeah, that could be completely wrong. But I thought I heard something about that. But also very funny of like, it only speaks to like how how less good the brand is compared to a, a GIF, which I I love, right? It's just, these are all things you can continue to explore, which I think is amazing. So I'll tell you one thing behind yeah. the scenes, if you don't yes, mind. Please. So I'm doing this GIF loyalist thing. And, you know, for, for three, you know, two years, I'm like on it. I'm like, I'm the guy. So with about three months left in the process, we had a date mm -hmm. and I knew I was going to shoot it with about three months left or somewhere in that neighborhood, Jif gets salmonella. There's a salmonella outbreak in Jif and they take it off the shelves. And I'm like, oh, I was, my friends are like, dude, it's okay. I'm like, no, this is going to ruin all. Cause like, I have to do a joke about it because they know. And I really didn't, by the time I did it, I, I think I could have not, but like for, there was a month when like, if I'm going to talk about peanut butter, I have to mention that Jif uh, is not on the shelves right now. And I, it, you know, I wrote a joke about it uh, and it made the thing better. You know, necessity is the, the mother invention, but, uh, but I, for a while I was like, this is going to, this is going to ruin the whole thing. These idiots, I was mad at them, you know, <laughs> like, but it turned out to be better, you know? Yeah. No, and it, it's a very funny, like, then I think logical extension and, and joke, because even that, like, once you have this premise and this loyalty, I love you, how you said this, <laughs> this gif loyal, this point of view, you can reframe that of like why it's actually like, you know, almost act of valor that they created. But it is, you know, I've, I've certainly experienced that we, you know, in some of our programs in the past have referenced things like uh, a movie or something like that related to Will Smith. And it's like, okay, well, suddenly there's going to be, you know, there's a certain year period and we don't know exactly how long, but we will have to mention yes, or at least a very quick kind of like throwaway line to be like, let's yeah. all ignore the the slap thing. Let's all yeah. ignore the selenol. Like, but yeah, you have yeah. to call attention to it. Otherwise the audience is going to be distracted by it. It's the audience, yeah. in the room, you know, the elephant in the room. And so as we start to, to wrap up, I'm curious from your perspective, because you've both been in sales and, um, and in comedy, for the non-comedians listening to the show, first of all, my huge recommendation is going to be to check out the special. Very, very funny, very enjoyable. But anything that you would suggest that they, you know, what can they potentially take away from watching the special, either in terms of the material or maybe even the delivery style? Anything that they should, you know, kind of look out for that they may be able to kind of adopt themselves as as a salesperson. And again, I'd say that with the addition of like, if you just go and just laugh for an hour, that in and of itself is a great, you know, stress relief, et cetera. But anything that sure. you think, you know, a salesperson might be able to say, hey, take a note of this and it might actually help you. I don't feel totally comfortable. I was a mediocre salesperson. So I like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think... Um, I just hope people laugh. I, you know, I do talk every now and then about like, there are some dark moments in sales where like, it just, I, you know, you, you like, we worked on this thing for forever. The team gets in there. We're meeting with a customer. We're going to change our relationship. We're going to, you know, we're going to take Sunny Delight in a totally different direction. And it does not go at all like you planned. And the guy, they, he didn't like you from the beginning. And it's just like, this thing goes from bad to worse. And you walk out in that parking lot and you're just like, 
oh, that was, you, you just feel lost. I remember a couple of times just walking out and just like this, that was, that was bad. And man, am I going to get fired? And I do think humor is a way to deal with failure. I had some really great teammates that we would just sort of commiserate after a bad moment like that. Well, and I think you need that to like get yeah. through those those tough moments. And I think for me watching it, you know, thinking about it even from a, a sales angle, certainly there's the performance aspect of it, but also just the, you know, for people who have heard this now, who've heard a little bit behind the scenes, the process, knowing that it's kind of occurring on the walk and stuff like that. I would say just kind of pay attention to the, the mastery of the delivery. And like you said, the the pausing and the patience. Sometimes that's what it takes for a point to land is to not talk, oh. to leave some of that space. Because it would be so easy for you to be like, that all of that Peter Pan joke, to be able to do it all together. Like it's Peter Pan and he's malnourished and he has no bones and it's hollow and it's like all that nu- nutrient. But it's like, no, there's a pause between each one allow in a moment to allow the audience to breathe, to you as a speaker to breathe. And, and so I think that is, you know, a, a great thing that people can take away from watching it. Uh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, I, and I, and I, I want to be clear. If anything, when I was in sales, I was the guy that didn't take enough of those pauses. They always told you, you know, it's at some point. I remember Scott Bixby. We were had a big call with uh, with grocer supply, and we were going to completely change how we were going to do business with them. And we were at a dinner, and it was their Tom Becker was their main guy, and he did. That, that company did not like Procter & Gamble for a long time. And, and we were in this meeting and we, we were kind of came to this thing and Tom starts talking and Scott just looked over and he goes, Shh, you know, just basically saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. This guy's rolling. If they're rolling and they're talking during the, the sales call, it's real good. Uh, this guy, Mike Jump was a market manager, big guy in sales. And he was, I remember he was like, if, if the customer's talking, and you're not like things, good things are happening usually, you know, unless they're yeah. yelling at you, but, but you yeah. know, you're learning or they're, they're talking themselves into yes. why it's a good thing or whatever. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to interrupt that flow. No, yeah, for sure. So that the importance of pausing for sure. Well, we have to wrap up some, so I want to uh, ask you a couple of just quick, fun questions. Yeah. Um, you know, given that we're talking about the special, any favorite reaction or comment or thing that someone said post-show when you've been talking about either the either the the material of this special or the GIF material? Well, I will tell you, I've gotten a lot of really good feedback. It's where I think two weeks out and I've gotten a ton of comments online and a lot of emails and Instagram messages. Uh, I got one uh, that uh, started out, you are despicable. Andrew, those, those emails don't usually take a turn for the better. No, they don't. That's you. Despicable is usually the nicest word in an email. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, and she went on to say, I've been a fan and I've watched you for a long time and I watched your special and I liked it. But then you got to the part about nurse practitioners and I'm a nurse practitioner and you made fun of them and I will never watch you again. And I'll tell my friends never to watch you. Now, what I wrote back was, uh, I'm sorry you felt that way. I was just joking. I don't want to make anybody feel bad about my comedy. What I wanted to write back was, I'm sorry. I don't want to make anybody feel bad about my comedy, but next time, could you have a doctor reach out to me? Because I I, I don't really listen to anything that nurse practitioners have to say. <laughs> I did not. I did not say that. Did not say that. <laughs> wait, wait, was she, she was serious about it. I thought that was going to be a joke. She was serious. She was, de- wow. she was dead serious. No, she was serious. Like, yeah, she was, that was her thing. And 
And I was like, oh, man. To, to, give, to, to give listeners who haven't heard the special context to it, it's, it's a simple, it's not really commentary on a nurse practitioner yourself. It's solely the title of nurse practitioner versus registered nurse. Yeah, it's just, it's it's silly. There were, there were nurses there that liked it. It was, it's very silly. And I, most 99.9% of people will be like, I, I get it. He's fooling around, but whatever. She might've had a bad day. But, and I was like, kind of like, oh man. But then I was like, you know, a week later, I said that thing about the, you know, the doctor on a radio show. And I was like, okay, I completely am glad she reached out. Cause I've, yeah. now I've got a joke. <laughs> like, you know, now I've got another, you know, as now a comedian, you're like, step. I've got a joke. And, uh, that's the most precious thing. Like I've yeah. got a thing that it will make people laugh for a while. So, yeah. And it's clear, like, what this is really interesting. I mean, watching comedy, because if you hear that completely out of context, people are like, wait, why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? It's like, this is a special where you talk about people who eat GIF being amazing and people who be eating, you know, Peter Pan peanut butter or like malnourished. It's like, this is clearly a persona that's being said and, and all that. So I think that context comes into it's, it. But it, yeah, the, yeah, that was a, that reminds me of a Josh Sneed joke. There was a Josh Need joke. Josh is a guy that worked for Procter & Gamble same time I did. And we started doing comedy right around the same time. He's a great comedian. Check him out if you haven't. But Josh had a joke at one point. I think it was that movie, Dr. Doolittle or something. He was with his girlfriend and uh, she, she pointed out some continuity problem. She's like, if he was a doctor, he wouldn't really be able to be at work at this time of day. And Josh turns to her and he goes like, there have been animals talking in this entire... <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the He's thing, like, that's, the thing that's throwing you here like yeah, you need to suspend a little bit of disbelief <laughs> there have been animals talking the whole we can go a little bit past it yeah. so i mean yeah. speaking of josh or other comedians uh what's a comedy special that you uh recommend other people watch the sides uh one of your own you know uh my friend mike vecchione uh has a special on the same platform that i do on nate's podcast Nate Land, the YouTube channel, and it's uh, it's really good. It's called The Attractives. It's uh, really, really good. I think you know you, you should watch Josh's Dry Bar special. is really, really good. Uh, and then Nate Bargatze's uh, most recent Amazon special is uh, man, you, you know, you're not going to find a lot better than that. Yeah, no, it, it's it's phenomenal as well. And uh, Greg, one last question for you before we end almost every uh, one of our conversations with what's a piece of advice or challenge that you'd give to the next generation of leaders? Wow. Um, I would say help people realize their dreams. You know, I, I think um, that's sounds sort of, sort of cornball, but I, I really, you know, if you can help people realize their dreams, you're you're giving them the the greatest gift you can give somebody. No, I love it. I think that's a fantastic answer. Well, uh, Greg, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation of learning from leaders. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, great talking to you. And that's our show. Like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at pgalumpod. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment in communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. That's it for this week. 
I've been Andrew Tarvin. And I'm still Roman Segel. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.